Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Today, we have a very special guest on the podcast. We have Alex Gertzberg joining us all the way from lovely and beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Alex is an attorney. He's been practicing in Cleveland area for 22 years, but he spent the beginning of his career in two large regional business law firms. And then he spent another 10 years, give or take, as the general counsel to a telecommunications company. He also spent 10 years in the Army, including a tour in Iraq. Thank you for your service back in 2003. But today he is the founder or a founder and a managing partner of Gertzberg Licata, which is a business and advisory firm handling a variety of business transactions, litigation, and regulatory matters. So we are really excited to have Alex here. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Welcome, it. Alex. Thanks for being here. And as Jeff said, thank you for your service. We appreciate it very much. On that topic, Alex, did you do your service after law school? Were you a practicing lawyer and then you joined the, the Army? I was an ROTC from 93 to 97 and then did about seven years after that. So I, I tend to count the ROTC years in my total right. service because uh, you know, yeah. I, could, I could have just kept partying with my friends in college and I didn't. I, I, I went to PT every morning at 6 a.m. I did my cadet time. The purists would probably say that that shouldn't count, but I say it counts. Well, in this room or in, or in this, yeah, we'll yeah, that stuff is so interesting to me. And there's there's among us here, we have one of three who who you know sacrificed and gave themselves in the service of the country. So, just talk uh, briefly about that and tell us about you know what you did and what your tour was and. Yeah. So what what led me to the army life is not that glamorous. I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Moldova. Which, if either do you guys know where Moldova is? No, nobody knows where Moldova is. It's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's nestled. It's this little sliver of a country nestled between Russia, Roma- uh, Russia, Romania, and the Ukraine. And so when we came here, uh, it was 1979. We had no money. We kept having no money through my entire childhood. So when my dad was an entrepreneur as well, but when college came around. I had minimal funds to, to go to school with. And so somehow I won an Army ROTC scholarship, um, got a free ride to college that required then the, the Army time and, and uh, afterwards. And so from 97, in 97, I was commissioned as a, a second lieutenant. I thought the Transportation Corps might be fun because it seemed like a lot of road trips. I uh, joined that and went to officer basic school. From 97 to 2003, I was a a platoon leader in an Army Reserve unit in Akron, Ohio, leading training convoys all over the country, but mostly in Northeast Ohio, doing my one weekend a month, two weeks in the summertime. And then January of 03, my unit got called up to go to Iraq, spent a year there, and I led convoys in Iraq. It was generally about a year's worth of the same mission going from, uh, we, we were stationed in base that straddled Kuwait and Iraq. It was called Camp Navstar. And it was a five-day mission with some exceptions 
that took us from there to Camp Doha in Kuwait, up to Baghdad, and then back over a five-day period. Anywhere from 60 to 160 soldiers carrying supplies and ammo, things like that. Wow. It was fun. It was interesting. You know, when you're in your 20s and you don't know anything, it's a, it's a really great way to grow up pretty quickly. If you recall that feeling when you got the call that, like, we're getting called up and we're going over. It's interesting, Brett. I really didn't want to go. I'm a little bit ashamed to admit it to this day, but if I'm going to be totally honest and candid with you guys and with your audience, I had just started in 2003. I had just started a new job with my second law firm, Cal Fee Halter and Griswold in Cleveland. Really great law firm. Increased my salary substantially, and it was already pretty good. And I was I was just happy practicing law and litigating and and doing my thing. And and so I I really. I just saw it selfishly as, as, as being really disruptive and I had just gotten engaged. Oh. And so I don't know, just, I, I, I really wasn't emotionally and from a maturity standpoint prepared to just set aside my plans for my life to go to Iraq for a year at minimum. I knew it was going to be at least a year, but I remember when we were getting ready to leave, and I was standing at the at the head of our platoon and, and with the other officers. And I remember all of the parents of our soldiers coming up to me and the other officers and reminding us that we were in charge of bringing their kids home, that we were, we were the stewards for their brothers and their fathers and their mothers and sisters. That really weighed heavily on me and on, on the other leaders in, in our unit. And it turned around. You kind of snap right back to to it immediately, as selfish as you were before that, or as I was anyway. The weight of that responsibility immediately hit me, and, and it stayed with me for the rest of the time I was there. Wow, amazing! I mean, yeah, I guess you realize it's as as personal as it is. It's not about you; it's about a greater good, and that's really impressive. And I again thank you for your service. Yeah. And thank you. We need more people like you. Who and I think the fact that you didn't want to go is completely normal. There should be no shame in that whatsoever. I'm sure there are a lot of people that want to go, but the fact that you didn't go, didn't want to and did and did go is uh, even more of a credit to you. So thank you. Thank you. But I guess the question is, what is harder, being a platoon leader or a managing partner? Who's harder to manage, lawyers or soldiers? Oh, see, I was going to go with the analogy that in both cases, there's always bullets flying at you. Yeah. That's um, yeah. So. yeah. Um, yeah, it's so interesting because this last year has been a real eye opener for me. I would love to get your thoughts on it, too, guys, because how long have you two been been together at your firm? We formed the firm in May of 2009. So okay. we're yeah. coming up 13 years, uh, we're coming up on 13, 12 and a half years, but coming up on 13 in May. It's crazy. Yeah, guys. I. I've got a ton of questions for you, though, but, it, yeah. but it's your show, though. But, but for me, it's been a real this last year has been a like I feel like I've grown in emotional intelligence relative to, you know, being a good partner. Lou and I are, are the two you know, equity partners here and going from nine years of just being the only chief, the only boss. Right. To now sharing that responsibility and considering whether I'm stepping on his toes, whether he's stepping on my toes, whether we are aligned, whether we are sending the, the same message to the firm 
that has been a really big challenge for me, having never had like a true business partner. So, so this last year, I would say, has been a real growth experience for me. In the same way, obviously, you know, just the, the gravity of it is very different. But in the same way that that year in Iraq was such a growth experience for me. You had a solo practice for nine years, and then you met Lou Licata, your partner, now partner. You guys decided to form a firm, and that was a year ago. And yeah. how many employees did each of you have before that? Just, I just want to make sure everyone follows. What um, Lou had, I want to say, like a team of five or six. I had a team of about 15. And today, we're at about 26 now, about a year in. And of that whole group, at any given point, about half are practicing attorneys. We operate a couple other businesses out of this organization alongside the law firm. So we've got a full marketing department and uh, operations, billing, finance. We've got an M&A affiliate and an executive search affiliate. So yeah, we Lou and I met in EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. He's a, a longtime veteran of EO over here, probably about 16 years uh, and I joined EO two years ago, two and a half years. We met there. I was going through a pretty challenging time at my law firm where I had more work than I could manage with my people. And we, we were just in over our heads. And we had lost a couple key lawyers. Lou and I meet in EO. I shared my stories of woe with him. And, and he said, tell me what you need and, and I'll, I'll help you any way I can. And he did. He contributed some of his lawyers to some of our matters. And conversely, we started helping him with his. And I had a really good sort of younger bench of lawyers and I had very few senior lawyers. And he had really phenomenal senior lawyers that he'd been working together with for a really long time. And so it was the perfect compliment. And we started working together for a number of months on estate planning and on some litigation on some M&A. And about eight months in, we both realized that our leases were expiring at the same time. I said, Lou, why don't we buy a building together and move our law firms into the building and, and pay rent to ourselves? And he said, good idea. Let's do it. Started looking for a building, found it, started working on financing started putting the plans together to move our firms into it. And then somebody just in the course of these real estate discussions said, Hey, why don't you guys just merge? You're, you're moving, you're moving two complementary law firms into the same building that you're both buying together. And we looked at each other, like, how did we not talk about this? Yeah. Right? And then it just became, and then it, it just clicked. And it's funny. We started working our own merger, the way we work. We're, we're both business lawyers. The, the same methodical persistence and, and processes as we worked on our clients' mergers together. And it just happened really quickly. And there's a lot of hard work, but it, it relatively easily, given how aligned we were on you know, talent, culture, process. And uh, anyway, that's a very long-winded story of how we got together. That's how we got together. No, I mean, that that's, sounds like you guys were made to be together and partners, not knowing what your practice areas are, how are they complementary? I mean, it sounds like you two are very complementary to each other. It sounds like your staff sort of needs were complementary to each other. 
but how did you feel like your practice areas would be complementary to each other? We both had business law firms with generally the same practice areas within the umbrella of business law. So estate planning, business litigation, mergers and acquisitions, compliance, employment law, contracts, commercial law. So we had just that general overlap advantage of him having these great senior lawyers and me having this very talented junior bench. We complemented each other that way. The other thing though is Lou had and still has a really great international practice. He has a deep network of business people and lawyers in Asia. I work, you know, being from from Eastern Europe myself, I have a lot of clients that that still do business in Europe and we both did some things in South America. So our international experiences started to complement each other too. So yeah, it was just we were both able to serve our clients together well using the people that we had. And the other way that we really complemented each other though was just as entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And Louis is is one of the best entrepreneurs I've ever met. Really forward thinking, really progressive. You really need this in a partnership. Again, I, I, I'm curious to see how it works with you guys. My brain and my attention tends to be living in the future, not in the present. Lou manages the present really, really well, better than yeah. I do. So do you guys do EOS at, at your firm? No. No, no so, we're familiar with it. Yeah. yeah. Familiar with so, it, but no, we don't. We don't in EOS, you need a really good integrator to manage operations. Yeah, I was a horrible integrator, right? Yeah. Just for me, I, I just really love putting pieces together for future growth and to, to a fault on present operations, right? To, a, to, a, to the detriment of present day operations. I can do it and I did it for nine years, but having someone who's really good at keeping the plates spinning, keeping the dollars coming in now and, and have, getting bills paid having the, the, the right payroll, taking care of paying people the right way and, and managing people, critical. And if you've got both pieces of that jigsaw puzzle taken care of, magic happens. And I feel like it has with us. So touch on that. So both of you obviously do some M&A work. And, and so you're familiar with how to put a transaction together. But it's also, it's very different when you're advising a client than when you're in, you know, in the picture, so, so to speak. For those that are listening out there um, that are, Lawyers thinking about going into a partnership with somebody, or they maybe they are in a partnership with somebody, or maybe they have clients who are. What are some of the things you didn't think of, right? I mean, there's always going to be that thing or things that you didn't think of that either were really beneficial or things that you said, oh, wow, hang on, no, we need to address that. Yeah. Well, the cobbler's shoe analogy is, is good here, right? You always yep. tell your clients, you always tell your clients on day one and go in with your operating agreement, your partnership agreement, all buttoned up, ready to go. (laughs) And it took us like 10 months. Yeah. 10 months to get that part done. So that's the first thing. Reality for ourselves, we just kind of, we did exactly what our clients say all the time. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll get there. Alex, if it it makes you feel any better, I think we're about the same. Uh, Was it a year, Brett, for us or 10 months? Somewhere about, around Mm -hmm. the Somewhere about that. It's the same reason I didn't name my first child until she was one year old. We wanted to get them <laughs> first. Um, no, I'm kidding. No, but I, I do think that it makes sense. Like you, you kind of learn a lot about the partnership during that period, and and then you document kind of what you've already been doing. 
in some respects. Yeah. But you're right. We give the same advice and uh, and then don't follow it ourselves. Yeah, I, I would say that's that's the big one. But but the good news is that Lou and I, because we are so like minded and we are so aligned in terms of where we want to go together, it really wasn't a difficult process. It just would have been easier. It's good that nothing happened in the intervening time, you know, because I mean, families could have changed, interests changed, health could have changed. Gosh, I was just about to say you could have like a global pandemic hit. No, that would never happen. Not during our um, life. You could have a disputed presidential election. Right. Um, yeah. But, but, but both, both of those things happened pre-merger for us. So now you're in so the yeah. clear. What could go wrong now? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> We have a lot of parallels in our um, in our practice, our styles, our strengths, and and the, even the formation of our firm. Because Brett and I each had our own firm for about a year when we formed our firm. He started first; it was his you know his idea. He started a firm in January of '08. I started my firm in March of '08. We were bouncing ideas off each other because we had, you know just formed our own firm, and then we were sharing space together. When we announced the formation of our firm, it was the local bankruptcy bar retreat that weekend. And without exception, every single person that we told said, oh, well, we knew that was coming. You know, apparently mm-hmm. Brett and I were the last to know that we would form a firm because everybody else saw the synergies and it just took us a little longer to, to figure them out. But yeah, I think, you know, and Brett and I actually, we did a podcast on this very topic, you know, the keys to a, a healthy partnership is be- besides trust and respect. And, you know, one of them is, complementary strengths and styles, you know, the things that terrible are at, and there are many Brett's really good at. And so how, how was that? Oh, I'm sorry. I was supposed to jump in there. Yeah, no, <laughs> all the stuff that I'm really bad at, just really good. No, just, there's a lot. There's like more that I'm terrible, bad at. Than, terrible yeah. was bad. It was a bad choice of words, right? No, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Let, okay. let me ask you this question. And I know this is your podcast and you're supposed to ask the questions, but I, I'm just because I'm in it right now. And I got to believe you've got a lot of listeners in the same in the same place. Looking back on that first year, how did that first year go compared to how it ended up? Like, was it difficult? Was it challenging? Was it tough or was it easy? Listen, I would say it's difficult, but I wouldn't, I don't think it was any more difficult than any other year for us. Also remember, you know, our practice is heavily insolvency oriented and it was 2009. So we formed our firms in 2008 and then, you know, and then joined together in 2009. And we just were like you, we were drinking water from a fire hose and just, but just having a partner Right off the bat, just having another person that I trust and, you know, same for Brett, that can triage or help you triage was just, you know, invaluable, you know, and someone else that you can trust. Otherwise, you're just making every decision on your own. And if you trust your partner, you can say, all right, you take this half and I'll take that half. Yeah, but we see some benefit. As Jeff said, there's some benefit to having that person down there you trust. Just like EO, it's kind of like you find out that there's other people going through the same thing you are, right? And so it's super helpful. We happen to have very complementary sort of areas of focus uh, in terms of our practice as we grew up as lawyers. You know, I'm more heavily litigation, just more heavily on the restructuring and workout, although we both do the other. So those are very complementary in the insolvency world. It was just, I know for me, and I think for Jeff, it was just great to now have that person. We were using each other as that partner down the hall almost before we, you know, made it official, but now it was official. And so now you just have that person down the hall you can go to and 
and talk to and, and bounce ideas off of. But yeah, I mean, we were drinking out of a fire hose. It was great. It was crazy times in, in, in 09 and 10. And so it was, it was great to have that as we were uh, growing and refining our practice. And uh, it was nice to find somebody who had very similar views on culture, uh, which, as you know, Alex is super important and, you know, had a, had a very similar I think reputation as well that had built that level of reputation and practice. It was nice to have that. Yeah, you know, and the uh, work ethic and moral compass. I would say those are the other. Two. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't want to partner up with someone who you know you just think isn't carrying their weight, or you question their you know decision making or, or moral fibers. So yeah, it's worked for us so far. Good. Brett, any, anything you need to know, Brett? No, we'll um, see how the podcast goes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, and and in a lot of ways, we have a lot of parallels. I think I'm more the the Alex, and Brett's more the Lou. I mean, but in in a lot of different ways. But we um, we all pick up, you know, we pick up where the other leaves off, you know, in a, in a in a great way. And it's not that it's like I think you said it's not that you can't do the other things. It's just the other person's better at it, you know. Yeah. And so. Yeah. You know, I think that's how a, a real partnership works, and and it allows just. In our practice, you know, or in any law practice, I think teamwork, you know, be- clients benefit and lawyers benefit from teamwork. And so, you know, having a partner facilitates that. Yeah. In all respect. Yeah. 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 And the trust component is obviously is super important, right? In terms of partnership and communication. Communication is is key as well, right? Because things are flying at you a million miles an hour. Things happen, not just, you know, we have the, as a professional services firm that, like you, we're not making widgets, you know? So not only are we involved in actual, you know, the, the substantive part of the business and providing that service to the client, we're also running the business. And so there's a lot of things just flying around. And so it's, it's nice to have, you know, somebody else to, to help with that, do that complement on complimentary basis. How many folks at Demron? We're very similar. We have 22 and about half are lawyers. Yeah. So it was about very similar okay. size. I was about to say we should merge our firms and have, and keep growing. But. Yeah, you want to come visit Miami? You should come down. Yeah, do. They say that, that everyone always says that in January. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> come yeah. July. You know, glorious out there. I was going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, I was going to ask you about Cover My Six. It's, uh, you want to tell yeah. us, our listeners what's Cover My Six? Sure. In the intervening period uh, between the first sort of third of my career in uh, business litigation at these law firms in Cleveland and uh, being on my own, there was six years there where I was in-house general counsel for this telecom company called Broadfox. And I wasn't a telecom lawyer. I I, I really don't think I I ever felt like a telecom lawyer, but yet it was, it was a hundred plus million dollar company. They had over 100 employees all over the country, and they were a telecom company. And I needed to fairly quickly learn what I needed to know to keep it out of trouble and maintain its low-risk profile. And so I started creating these systems around auditing the company to identify where its, its highest risks were and then creating systems for eliminating those risks. And then at some point during that process, just this light bulb went off for me that there are only six. One way to organize my audit of my company was according to the six plaintiffs who could sue my company. 
customers, vendors, employees, shareholders, the government, competitors. And then I was like, holy shit, there's only six plaintiffs that I have to worry about. And it's the same six plaintiffs for every company. Every company in America, to this day, I have not identified a seventh plaintiff. Every company in America has the same six plaintiffs that can sue it or, or investigate it. And so the audit uh, for Broadvox framework for it was, you know, six silos. And once we identified who the plaintiffs were, then we sort of reverse engineered our audit from plaintiff to claims that those plaintiffs can bring to the defenses that, so that, that the company can assert and create for itself to protect mm-hmm. itself against those claims and plaintiffs. So plaintiffs, claims, defenses. And that was the genesis of Cover My Six, which is also, if you are a military person or a cop, it's something that you say or you hear in service, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, right? Cover my butt. So the play on words and six plaintiffs created this trademarked Cover My Six product service that then carried into my law firm, which I then, we, we started delivering to our clients who were not telecom companies. And then the forms and the templates and the processes kept growing with every Cover My Six audit that we did. And we just kept growing the service until we were doing these all the time. And we are now productizing it in, in, in lots of interesting ways that are really exciting. And it is, it is now its own thing. It's its own standalone company. Coverby6.com is its own website. And there's everything you would want to know about it is there. But that's, that's what Cover My Six is. Fantastic. And so, and so you're still, you run that through your law firm, essentially it's a, and it's a product offering that your firm uh, offers. Right. Right. So today, and we're working on a couple of things that are really exciting, but today there's basically, there's two basic systems of cover by six. One is a, a deep dive where we basically like sue our company, our client before the other guy does. And we, we use the same uh, tools that the, that a plaintiff would use when they sue a company, but we do it in a friendly way, right? So instead of taking depositions, we we do management interviews, and instead of serving subpoenas, we we do serve document requests on our on ourselves on our companies, and we we go through this process that involves research and guidance letters, and then we we redo all their forms, and that process, depending on the size of the company, can take three to six months. And cost anywhere from fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. And then we also have a small company version for startups and, and, and smaller companies under twenty employees, under ten million in revenue, where it, it, it's a little bit more cookie cutter, but it's still pretty customized. But it's a lot less of that deep dive and more of a you're going to get a new customer contract and a new operating agreement and a new employee handbook and all the forms that you're going to need as you grow your business, we're going to provide for you. We'll still talk to you and customize them, but it isn't going to be that deep dive that takes three to six months. The small company version can take 30 days. What a great product. And, you know, for companies to use and to feed, you know, is it something that requires attorney time and work or no, this is just one of those where, you know, they hire the company or they hire the firm or they use the product. How does that work? Yeah, 
So they hire the firm. We do everything for them. Okay. There have been times where we have taught other lawyers almost like a white labeling reseller kind of arrangement to provide this same service to their clients. That is the minority of cases that we do this way. Usually we're selling directly to the client, but yeah, we're doing all the work. And, and, you know, I, I do a talk called how to stay out of court. I do it for EO. I do it for chambers of commerce, you know, better business bureau members and other trade organizations, companies. And even if you don't hire my firm, or even if you don't use the cover my six service, organizing your thinking around those six plaintiffs, and then talking to your business lawyer that way, what are you doing to help me minimize my exposure to my customers? What am I doing to minimize my exposure to my employees, to competitors, to the government, right? Creating that framework, whether you hire us or not, is extremely helpful. Yeah. Most companies that do business outside of their own state, which is, you know, these days, a lot of companies that thanks to the internet, aren't even aware that they're may, that they may be sitting on this giant sales and use tax problem. Right? Sure. You guys probably see it. It probably puts some of your clients into bankruptcy, right? That's part of that government category, right? That's a conversation that businesses aren't typically having with either their lawyers or their accountants, but the government wants their money. And the longer you go as a business and the more business that you do in other states, the bigger that meatball grows. So that's just one example. I mean, if we can help businesses even talk to their lawyers better so that they can minimize their risk in a more organized way, that's a win. Great. Yeah, I love it. I love, uh, you know, just ordinarily the prospect of litigation seems so daunting, but you just put it all into six small categories and it just makes it appear much more manageable. And I think a lot of business owners and leaders aren't real, aren't thinking that way. I would say almost all of them, maybe your customers thought, I love that way of thinking and framing it, Alex. Well, thanks. And, and, And part of it is the nature of our profession. We have gone 200 years as lawyers generally working with our clients on a reactive basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. We're that way about everything in this country. <laughs> right, right. We, and, and part of that is that we, we're, we're not cheap and companies want to grow and cash flow is always a, a, an issue. And so they're, they're, they're playing whack-a-mole with their legal problems. Companies are, and, and, and CEOs and business owners are, owners are reluctant to pick up the phone and, and start the clock. I'll get charged by the hour. But when you're reactive, and you leave all of these risks sitting out there to grow because you're kind of just putting blinders on, they grow and the exposure grows and then the pain and the distraction and the energy and the time that you waste, all of that keeps expanding while you're playing whack-a-mole on the problems you're reacting to. Agreed. And I think not until a business owner or leader encounters litigation, do they their eyes open to those prospects. Right. You know, mm-hmm. the cost of litigation is certainly higher than the cost. Uh, and otherwise. Well, and I mean, from a business owner's perspective, right, I guess to play the just counter argument is, well, guys, you can't tell me that if I do steps one through six and I'm not going to be sued, that you can't tell me that I'm still, there's still a possibility I can be sued. What you're telling me is I'm going to create a defense for myself and limit the possibility of me being sued. So you know what? I'm going to kick the can down the road. I'm not saying that's the right approach, but 
I'm going to kick the can down the road and then deal with it. And, and we're sitting there saying, guys, that come on, like yeah. you're, you're increasing your risk, you know, of liability of being sued and all that. So spend some now and you're right. It's a line item. And so right. we, if they're on a budget, what do they take out? Let's reduce the, the legal expense now. Cause that's not, we're not focused on that now. Let's focus on, you know, putting the business together and the expense associated with that. Right. So. Well, and, and, and along those lines, Brett, right. Every business owner and most Americans understand and agree that they need to buy insurance, right? Yep. Car yep. insurance, business insurance, life insurance, health insurance. It's just kind of an accepted understanding. Begrudgingly accepted. Begrudgingly. Yeah. I think if they think that same way relative to their legal exposure, right, right, they, they benefit whether they get hit or not because they get that peace of mind. And what business owners usually don't kind of figure out, Jeff, to your point, until they get sued is that insurance policy, A, might not be there. You may, you, it may not be enough. It may only cover your, your legal fees, but not your settlement or your, your, your damages. There may be exclusions in there that you're tripping to eliminate coverage. But the biggest thing is it's not going to help you avoid the lawsuit. Right. Once you get hit, you're you're on that roller coaster, right? You're you're in that litigation casino and you're you're along for the ride. Right. You know, and so the 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 insurance is important and it's great, but you need more. Yeah. And and it's not just cost, it's you know, it's opportunity cost, but it's also the distraction factor. You know, anyone that's and we we all know this all too well and probably our listeners too, but Anyone that's embroiled in litigation knows that you're focused on the litigation. And when you're focused on the litigation, you're not focused on running your business. And that's, you know, you're losing money out of both ends that way. Great stuff, Alex. This, uh, I feel like we could, uh, we could go on for hours, but maybe we just might have to have you back on an episode in the future. But to our listeners out there, if you have any questions for Alex, we're going to put his contact information in the show notes and check out CoverMy6.com for that amazing product. Really love that. And if you have any questions about this or something we discussed, or if there's a topic you want to hear, let us know. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review, follow us, share it with your friends and family, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, guys. Thank you. For more information on this show and other resources, Visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.